You're listening to Geeks Unleashed, a podcast that covers what's current in the world of pop culture. I'm Mark Brassington, and I'm in London. And I'm Jasmine in Texas. Hello, welcome to Geeks Unleashed. This is episode 54. If you are not already subscribed, you can find us at Geeks Unleashed everywhere, including your favorite podcast platform. Remember, five-star reviews help us get found by more listeners, so please rate and review Geeks Unleashed on Apple or Podchaser. Well, I'm Mark. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Stephen. And this week's review is the first season of Sweet Tooth on Netflix. And spoiler warning, this is a review show, so if you have not had a chance to watch Sweet Tooth, we are about to ruin your day because we're talking about it. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully we're not ruining the day <laughs> some people might do you know what though? some people do listen to review shows before they've watched or read or whatever like sometimes i do yeah. like if i want it like if i'm a bit i will if i'm not sure that i want to watch whatever they're reviewing in the first place. yeah yeah. I, 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 so you know, like, um, I don't know if you guys have heard of the podcast, The First Issue Club. Have you, have you heard of that, you two, or not? Yep. Um, do you know the First Issue Club, Stephen? Uh, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> so, the First Issue that Club, that is an excellent whole, answer, Stephen. <laughs> their, their, their whole ethos is that they review, I don't know, three or four first issues every week, but they review them from the previous week. So, they wait a week uh, and then review them. And I quite like listening to it. One, the banter and stuff, but it's cool that like, so I'll listen to it, not necessarily having read every first issue that comes out every week because I haven't got endless amounts of money. Like, so yeah. so I think it, I think podcasts like that are quite helpful if you're not sure about something and then people give their opinion. So hopefully, as we talk about Sweet Tooth, if you've not already watched it, you may go and pick it, uh, sorry, go and watch it based off of our uh, our thoughts. Or so. we may save you the trouble and have <laughs> a, we watched it so you don't have to moment. <laughs> that won't happen <laughs> anyway um as you may know Stephen only joins us um every four weeks or so depending on what's going on but we we uh rugby tackled him back on uh, yes. so he could <laughs> share the joy of sweet tooth with us and uh also compare it to what, what we did last week so thanks thank Stephen. You. Thank, thanks, Stephen. Yeah, thank and, th- you, and, thank, and thank your wife too for letting yes. us have you back. <laughs> yeah, well, she slides me the key every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get to sleep inside occasionally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about He Man. All right. Guys. <laughs> Somebody's Guys. excited. So, yeah, oh. oh man, honestly, you should have seen it earlier. Like, you should have seen, <laughs> should have literally had a camera on me when I watched this trailer. I literally <laughs> hands were in the air, there was fist pumps. I was dancing to that music, like in my chair. I didn't get full up on boogie or anything. There was no, there was no, there was no, there was no, there was no sides going from, you know, there was no, uh, I wasn't no hip from action. Sides, so. Yeah, that was it. No hip action. There was no hip action. It was just my arms. And I was singing along to the music as well. And, um, and all my kids and my wife thought I was insane. So anyway, He-Man Revelations picks up where the original 80s series left off. Trailer dropped today, which looks freaking amazing. Honestly, so good. Like, oh, that animation is so good. Uh, five episodes drop, which is called Part 1 on the 23rd of July. Uh, there's going to be an after show as well, hosted by Kevin Smith. I'm not really that bothered about after shows, but yeah. I am. I'm, I'm not really an after show person. I, I, they kind of only ever ask nice questions, you know, like, 
you never see an aftershow where they go, right, well, tell us about that drug problem you had in 74 or whatever. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know like, they always ask, oh, you know, just oh, what do you think of the character? Like, oh, yeah. Well, you know, the, the boys had an aftershow for the second season and it yeah. got a little raunchy sometimes. Oh, but it? I mean, that made, that made oh, sense for the series. Oh, yeah. 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 But, did you guys watch the trailer yet? I haven't. Yeah. You I, have watched um, it, Stephen. Yeah, the animation is unreal. And just a side note, I don't want to tangent too much, but uh, the way you feel about He-Man, this, that's how it felt watching the Castlevania trailers. Like, oh, really? Uh, For yes. me, because I, I grew up I grew up so into Castlevania. So anyway. I, I'll be honest, I didn't even play the games of Castlevania, but yeah. I, I'm obviously a <laughs> huge He-Man fan. And uh, the other day, actually, which I, I never watched the, um, I think it was called The Adventures of He-Man. It was where, I don't know if you guys heard about it, where He-Man travels to the future and because people come back and, take he-man and then end up getting skeletor as well as you do uh, and then bringing him to the future I, I i don't know i don't know you can't what, have one without the other yeah i don't know what distance in the future it was like 100 years or a thousand years or whatever it was but they needed a hero i'd never watched that because i think i was a bit older when it came out but i went and watched the pilot of that the other day and i was like this is all right it's not brilliant but like but i was just getting all excited because i know he-man's coming like, i honestly we need to somehow fit the Dolph Lundgren film into our schedule, I think. <laughs> so, like, oh, heavens. Like, like, uh, I will say uh, He-Man well. is the tough, is the toughest hairless man with bangs that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. Wow. Those, those waxers were really working hard way back in those days, huh? But, uh, yeah. But the, you're right. The, the animation in the trailer looked awesome. Well, it's, it's no. powerhouse animation. So, same people that did Castlevania, yeah, same amazing. people that did Space Monos, they they're a really great studio. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good thing they had a bit of time to practice doing Castlevania, so they could release actually something. Better. Oh, practice! Huh? <laughs> 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 anyway, let's oh, move on. Yeah, Go on, Steven. So, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> there's a little bit of news about what kind of forever. Uh, the official part is that uh, uh, Tanak Horta has been cast uh, kind of in an unknown, an unnamed uh, role. Um, he's well known for Narcos and a couple of other <clears throat> smaller projects, but uh, it's been described as a villainous role. Uh, there is speculation that he could be Namor, uh, which would be pretty awesome. Um, Namor has a long history in Marvel. Uh, it start, you know, has kind of villainous roots he's a hyper arrogant character similar to loki but he's not funny like loki yeah. <laughs> um, and uh anyway if you're not familiar with loki or if you're not familiar with namor rather um john byrne did a uh, a series of issues in the 90s that will catch you up and it's a good it's a good kind of introduction to the character before wakanda forever comes out so yeah I'm kind of i think excited. it's cool that they could potentially do a whole atlantis versus wakanda kind of thing to put, put like these oh, yeah. two big powerhouses, but like quiet and unassuming yeah. powerhouses like against each other. Yeah. So, plus I'm also very interested to see how this Atlantis compares to Aquaman's Atlantis. So yeah, we'll, well and some of the, some of the, the really like excitable Marvelites <laughs> um, <laughs> are, are really super hyped because technically Namor is a mutant. Um, so <gasps> is the, is the, is the, well, they say he's the first mutant, but Apocalypse yeah. probably was the first mutant. But uh, yeah. Namor is a mutant, yeah. So, why like, that's pretty cool. Dang. Yeah. So I'm not sure. You know, I I 
it, to me, he doesn't telegraph the X Men too much because mm-hmm. he w- never appeared in their books, or at least they, they kind of pull him in. So very, very far and few between, they pull him into the yeah. X Men world. So I think it's only I think they kind of do if they want to push a name or book, they might slap the word mutant on the cover or something <laughs> like, like you know. Um, yep. But I, I think he's he's been pulled in here and there. Like I, I'm trying to think, last time really? I probably saw him pulled into the X Men world. I mean, I'm not. Well, I know I'm he's. Not, yeah, so most people are super familiar with. Oh, I, sorry, I ran over oh, you there. That's right. Um, no, I was just gonna say most people are super, or I would, am most familiar with him through the Avengers, but um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he were in X stuff. So, anyway, I'm kind of excited. I like I like the actor a lot. Um, so, yeah. Do you, do you, know, do you remember um, in Endgame? Like, um, I can't remember who it was, but when they were all having like a kind of a a superhero sort of catch up on the uh on the, on the screens like there was um oh yeah like someone from Wakanda some uh, Captain Marvel Groot or whatever and they talked about some rumblings in the ocean even Yeah that then, was they... uh Black Widow talking to Okoye Yeah yeah so they so they underwater obviously... earthquake she said Yeah so yeah that's it and so <laughs> even back then there was rumors of Daymor yeah. and then I remember yeah. somebody released some fan art of um Black Panther 2 saying Black Panther 2 Kings like and everyone was like oh that'd be so cool but yeah. I, I still agree if this rumor plan- turns out to be true I think it'd be amazing I mean it's only a matter of time surely before they bring Namor in so. well but it, yeah. it's also going to be he's going to have to this is they're going to have to put a lot of effort into the villain because they don't have Chadwick Boseman to counteract it so you're going to have yeah. to you're going to have to make make a new centerpiece for for the Wakandans to go up against, so I think they will. Though, be a good they, villain. I think they will though, because I could say, obviously Namor's going to be a long-term villain. It's going to be like a Loki character, like mm-hmm. I mean, not as in goofy and mischievous, but like um, he, you know, Loki's someone that's been in what three, four, four, th- three, four, four, four films. Getting my tongue twister there. An Avengers movie, uh, obviously a cameo in another Avengers movie, and his own TV series. I could see Namor is definitely someone they would have pitched to probably even have his own movie at some point. You know, and he would no doubt be in a Fantastic Four movie. They wouldn't miss that. So they, they would no doubt want to cast someone who's strong enough to carry this role for five or six movies. So yeah. anyway. Exciting stuff. All right. So this week is Netflix Netflix Geeked Week. Try saying that real fast. Um, so, so far we're <laughs> say, on say it four. Fast, say no, fast. not a chance. <laughs> uh, we got one more day of announcements coming up, but the first four days are in the can. And I got to say, I'm, I'm super excited about some of this Netflix stuff that's coming up. So I'm going to let Mark kick off day one recap. Yeah, day, I mean, just so you know, listeners, when we go through this, it may be a bit listy, um, but we'll, we'll try our best to make it funny for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so day one they've announced a Netflix ex- uh, exclusive Blood Red Sky kind of terrorist on a plane but it's a bit horror that's going to be out July 23rd uh, Lupin Part 2 the first trailer reveal says June 11th uh, June 11th, 11th. Uh, Sweet Girl it's got Jason Mawara on um, he's going to be a father protecting his daughter wife's murdered no date let's be honest everyone's gonna watch that if it's got jason in it mm-hmm. shadow shadow and bone season two's been announced i know i've not watched shadow and bone yet but i know that it's been very popular so i think there's no doubt there's going to be an ice truck that's film. <laughs> sorry uh i i ice the ice road is going to be out june 25th i just can't imagine watching that like anyway um so uh 
Kate star- starring Mary Elizabeth Winstead uh, as an assassin who was poisoned and has 24 hours to find her killers before she dies. That's out September 10th. Van Damme's The Last Mercenary drops July 30th. And there's also behind the scenes feature on Vikings Valhalla, which is set 100 years after the original series. From that, guys, anything that you guys interested in, think looks particularly or sounds particularly rubbish? Just what, what you know, Stephen, any thoughts on day one? I, <clears throat> yeah, actually, most of this stuff, I haven't had a chance to, to check out the first season um, for some of the, the continuing stuff, like Lupin. I really want to check out um, Shadow and Bone. Um, yeah, I really want to watch yeah. Shadow and Bone. Yeah, and I've been curious about Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, JCVD <laughs> was an interesting project. So I'm yeah, actually JCVD kind of was so weird. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm excited about Kate because uh, I think mm-hmm. that is going to be a fun, like, to me it's going to be a film like crank is kind of what i have in my mind but like a female driven crank film so yeah hopefully hopefully netflix won't disappoint (laughs) mary elizabeth winston was in that film uh that cloverfield no 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 no, no, she's been a lot she was in that oh that's it 10 cloverfield lane Mm -hmm. um have you ever seen 10 cloverfield lane Yes, I finally watched it. So good, it. so good. Like, edge yeah. of your seat movie, right? Like, she was yeah. so good in it. So I, I, I'd be interested in Kate, actually. I think from that list, I think Kate I'd like to watch and The Shadow and Bone Season 2. I, I want to watch Season 1. I've seen bits of it. It looks good. And um, I'd be interested in that. But yeah, yeah. anyway. Kate and Lupin for me, so. Yeah, yeah. Kate and um, Shadow and Bone for me. And you, you um, yeah. So day two, Jasmine. Day two. Oh man, day two kicked off with one with one of my favorite properties, Cowboy Bebop. Um, so a long time ago, Netflix announced they were doing a live action Cowboy Bebop series starring John Cho uh, and Mustafa Shakur. So they did release a little clip, and they said that the original composer of the theme music from Cowboy Bebop is returning for the TV series. That person, Yoko Kono, um, which I'm super excited about. Cowboy Bebop had some of the best music, like best sort of like mm-hmm. jazz, lo-fi, hip-hop kind of stuff going down. Um, anyway, so super excited about that. They still have not given us a date. It just says coming soon, fall 2021. So we'll see you this fall, cowboy. <laughs> um, Umbrella Academy released all 10 of the episode titles for season three. Uh, Netflix has also said that La Casa de Papel is the fifth and final season is going to be releasing in two parts. Part one is going to be dropping September 3rd and part two on December 3rd. They have released teaser images from the second season of Lock and Key. No, no trailer, no clips, no nothing and no date on that one. Another Life season two, which stars um, Katie Sackhoff. They did release a clip for that. They still have not put a date. It just says fall 2021. And there is a Sandman behind the scenes featurette that features Neil Gaiman himself, um, which everybody is talking a lot about because Neil has turned down so many screen adaptations of Sandman and the fact that he is 100% behind this Netflix one makes me very interested in, in what this Netflix Sandman series has going on. So um, all of that stuff was announced on day two. Well, from then, that, uh, from that, I'm oh, keen. I, I was gonna say Lock and Key. I love season one of Lock and Key. I thought it was so good. Like, I came to that, came to see season two. Another Life. I didn't think it was great. Like, I'm oh, sorry, it was good. I didn't 
love it, love it. But they did the same thing with that other show. I think it was Away, where they both basically season one was just them getting there. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of end with them getting there. And so I, I, I'd, I'd still watch season two because I'd like to see it carry on. As uh, Well, Stephen, anything on there for you? Yeah, I'm excited about um, Cowboy Bebop. The, yes. I didn't know that the original composer was back. <laughs> That's yes. pretty cool. Um, and then Umbrella Academy, I actually, I, I, no, I didn't finish season two. I loved the first season. Um, so I'm curious about season three. It's really weird because I hated the first season, but I loved the second season of Umbrella Academy. <laughs> I two, cursed of Mark the whole time he made me watch Umbrella Academy. I was like, why are we watching this show? <laughs> season two is better than yeah. season one, I thought. Like, it wasn't, I thought season one was very boring. So. <laughs> It was very slow. It kind of only got good in the last 20 minutes of season one. And then season two, I enjoyed a lot more. So. Yeah, well, it's I very think light it took on me like, action, yeah. I think it took yeah. me about five months to watch season one. And then season two, me and Jasmine watched it in a week. Yeah, I stopped. Like, I think episode five or something, I stopped watching altogether in season one. And I was like, ah, I'm done with the show. And then Mark was like, no, 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 we got to cover it. And I'm like, wait, that means I have to go back and watch season one and season two now? want to do that <laughs> i am not watching season three i'm gonna say that now you're funny <laughs> we are we'll are. We are. We are watch season three yeah definitely 100 <laughs> percent. we'll get steven on uh, okay well. <laughs> you're funny yeah um so rolling into uh, into day three um stranger things netflix continues to expand their empire there uh adding some new cast members that have been announced for season four uh they're doing a, a brand new scripted podcast um and they're doing a young adult novel that's focusing on robin from uh season three uh black summer season two uh, they released a clip online um as well as a release date of june 17th um, and then there's a new gunpowder milkshake clip, which actually I'm kind of excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, female led action flick. It drops uh, July 14th, uh, the school for good and evil. There's no date yet, uh, but they did really, they did post a Q and a with the cast. Um, and then lastly, uh, fear street. It's a, a three part RL Stein trilogy releasing July 2nd, the 9th and the 16th, which is a, a really, that's a really kind of bold, choice to, to yeah. have three, three full-length big... feature films back week to yeah. week yeah yeah but it's I guess it's um, like an event isn't it so. kind of i think so yeah as Absolutely. opposed to doing it all at one time yeah 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 i would think that they would they would ramp that up in october to cut you know what i mean it's yeah exactly natural, but anyway. a progression for rl stein stuff <laughs> yeah 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 so uh, i'm oh, super oh, excited oh. about the stranger things podcast i actually think that a series like that is perfectly suited for a scripted podcast series so oh, yeah, i thought I, that'd be pretty cool yeah i'm i'm really interested to see what that's going to look like or sound know, like rather of this list i i i almost don't want to watch it but black black summer season two like no. i watched black summer season one it's <laughs> fucking horrible like so like and honestly i you know what when you get used to 10 years of the walking dead where the zombies kind of just dawdle along and then you put black summer on and these flipping things like <laughs> They 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 they're like athletes. they're zooming around. Like, like, yeah, they they, they they don't just run. They they're like cars fast. Like they literally chase you down. Like they, I, and I've never seen like and like then, Army then, of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, literally. And then obviously watching Army of the Dead, I was like, okay, so this is it's not 
you're not the only franchise now that makes these zombie fuckers run. Like, oh, you know, so, but <laughs> not like, a, not, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm not a fan. Like, World War Z was so uh, freaking stressful to watch. I could not, yeah. I barely made it through that film. Um, and 28 days later, where the zombies oh, run yeah. like hell, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, if, if the zombies are fast, then I am screwed when the zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I, so I, I can't, I'm not going to outrun them. I'm I always sorry. think, like, if there's a zombie apocalypse and you're in The Walking Dead, what's the problem? But then you, you go and watch something like Black Summer, and you're like, whoa, like, yeah. There's a problem. Yeah. There's a problem. <laughs> problem. <laughs> There's a big problem now. Like, and you know, and they're like yeah. in Black Summer. Like, they are not just at your door. They are trying to get through your door. Like, they literally. The one thing I have to admire about Black Summer, though, season one, was I liked the fact that, and you can only do this on a streaming network, is the fact that not every episode was forty minutes. Some episodes were only twenty minutes. Like, and it was almost like it was broken down into chapters rather than episodes. And, and so you put on one episode, it's 20 minutes, you put on the next episode, it's 40 minutes. And I, I did think that was good that they weren't doing the typical Netflix thing of let's just make 13 episodes, 45 minutes long, and it doesn't care if this 45 minutes is full of, full of I don't know, 30 minutes of filler time. You know, so, I'm really glad that Netflix in general has moved away from the 13-episode format. I think, yeah. I think by tightening it up to 8 to 10, and sometimes even 5 or 6, you are forcing your creators to tell a much tighter story than as opposed to giving them the room to do what network does when you've got 22 episodes in a season. And it's like, do you really need 12 filler episodes a season? No, you don't like, no. Well, yeah. see, episode eight was where all the Marvel shows kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are we uh, still doing this? Yeah. <laughs> we're, wait, wait, we got more. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that actually tended to happen. Like, I do agree. It was like eight. It was around episode eight on most shows. They kind of, you could have felt like that was like the ending. Yeah. And then what they did was they kind of then re-energized like something. So then you had to carry on then to episode. 13. It's almost like it's a, a like yeah. a season one part two started at that yeah point. yeah like you yeah. could there's a there's a very clear like division there uh i'm also super excited about gunpowder milkshake it looks badass with uh karen Gillan and angela bassett i mean it's just like a loaded cast of basically like women versions of john wick so hell yeah sign me up i'm ready <laughs> All right, so day four. Day four is all about the animation. Um, and as Mark talked about earlier, He-Man was the first thing that Netflix talked about today. Um, they are also doing a film based on a Nickelodeon series called The Loud House. It's uh, going to be a movie that drops on August 20th. There's a new Gundam prequel series that they're doing, Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. Um, so basically, this series is going to be set before the original Gundam series. Uh, no date yet, just says coming soon. Twilight of the Gods sounds uh, very interesting. I'm not really that into Norse mythology, except for when it comes to playing God of War on PlayStation. Um, <laughs> Twilight of the Gods is from Zack Snyder, surprisingly. It is going to be an anime about uh, Norse mythology, and the voice cast is ridiculous. I mean, the, the voice cast is absurd with one of my favorite actors ever, Peter Stormare. He is so good and just nuts yeah. in everything he's in. It's it's awesome. Um, other notable people, you've got John Noble, Raul Coley, um, Corey Stoll, I love Corey Stoll, Jamie Chung, Lauren Cohen, so and and tons of other people. But this this cast alone is going to be enough to make me watch a series that I really don't know anything about. So that's going to be uh, Twilight of the Gods. No date yet. They have just now released the voice cast, so I'm assuming that one's going to be a 2022 show. 
Shaman King um, is an anime. It's based on uh, a manga of the same name by Hiroyuki Takei. That's going to be hitting Netflix August 9th. Eden Zero, that one's coming out on the 26th. It's another anime, same creator uh, as Fairy Tale, which Fairy Tale surprised me that I actually liked it. Didn't think I would. Um, so no. Um, so that's that one. Transformers: War for Cybertron Kingdom. Now we talked about this Transformer series on episode nine. So that's that's how long this series has been running. But this is the third and final arc of the War for Cybertron uh, Transformers story that Netflix has been trying to tell. That's going to be dropping on July 29th. Um, first teaser images for this super creepy looking thing called exception they have said it's going to be sort of like a space horror which i don't know kind of makes me think of like aliens or dead space or something like that um it's it's by the same uh author well a a, a big horror man- mangaka uh hirotaka adachi so uh to me it kind of looks like a cross between death note and where the wild things are but it, that might be too creepy for me. So that one might be a no. Uh, Make My Day is uh, another, it's a it's a film. This one is about these humans that live on this ice planet. And all of a sudden, these creatures start coming up from the dark of the ice planet. So maybe it's like pitch black. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and something that really jumped out at me, Bright Samurai Soul, which is mm-hmm. actually a sequel to the Bright film. Well, prequel, I should say, to the bright film that Netflix did. And that film was the one with the humans and the orcs that a lot of people love to hate on. But it was Will Smith and Joel Edgerton. So bright. This this series, well, this film is an anime film, but it's a prequel. And it's set in the 18th century in Japan. But it still revolves around orcs and elves and humans and and them trying to get along. And, and that sounds actually pretty interesting. So uh, I'm going to keep my eye out for that. No date yet. And there is a new Godzilla series, a new anime series coming out called Godzilla Singular Point, which is going to be coming out pretty soon, June 24th. So, whew, that was that was a that was a lot. Also, they have announced that Netflix now has a store. So if you are interested in wearing any Netflix gear, you can now shop at a Netflix store and uh, show your Netflix pride, which I think is actually kind of cool. If they have some Castlevania stuff in that store, let me just tell you, uh, <laughs> my credit card is about to be unhappy with me because uh, I'm about to hit me up some uh, Castlevania stuff. Uh, and again, we know that was a lot. Uh, we will put a link in the description so that you can check this out for yourself. There's still one more day and I'm pretty sure they're going to have some Witcher news tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, cool. uh, when we when we say tomorrow, we're recording this on the Thursday before yeah, we drop the episode on Sunday. Like, so today is the 11th of June, um, and this episode will come out uh, on the 13th. So, sorry, it's not Thursday. Today's the 10th for the rest sorry. of us. It's the 11th sorry. for Mark. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're recording this overnight. So I'm I'm in the UK. It's the 11th for me, the 10th for them. But either way, this will come out on the 13th. Yeah. I completely forgot about that when I said that. Sorry, apologies. No worries. Anyway, anyway, for this list, I I'll be honest with you. He Man obviously is the number one thing on here. Yeah. But Bright, I'm 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 down for that. Like I'm really want to watch. I that. enjoyed that movie. Like, I know a lot of people yeah. shit on it, but I actually really enjoyed that movie. I enjoyed that movie too. So yeah. the first time I put it on, I turned it off in about 10, 15 minutes because <laughs> I did not no no no. So I came back to it. The only reason I turned it off is because the sheer amount of swearing in it. And I think yeah. we didn't realize it was going to be that kind of film. I think we meant to put it on in the day or something, and the kids are obviously still awake. And the sheer, I'm, you know, I, I drop 
swear words and stuff but like the sheer amount of swearing i was like no 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 like this needs to be put on a, a more adult time <laughs> so um so but we me and my wife did watch it and we actually really enjoyed it so i i'm i'm actually really intrigued by the fact that they've decided to put an anime around one of their original movies set mm-hmm. sort of 200 years before this sounds really interesting I, I would love it to see more of the backstory of this world so. yeah yeah and the the piece of promo art that they released for samurai soul with the bright prequel mm-hmm. it's uh it's smart it's a uh, it reminds me of a lot of uh jeff darrow the guy who did he did a lot of concept art for the matrix and some of that stuff he's a one of the greatest artists alive in my opinion um it's a beautiful piece and it does a, a good job of kind of uh, making you curious about it yeah but yeah so i looked at that image and it, it wasn't until i read the description that i was like i mean this image i feel yeah. like i know these people but i don't know why i know these people and then i read the description and i was like bright film I don't remember yeah. watching a bright anime film and then i was like oh no you mean your own film netflix i see what you did there yeah so i think that's kind of cool that yeah. they're remixing their own stuff um i yeah. actually hope there's a sequel to that film i don't know if there is i think i think they said there was going to be but that, that film did come out a couple of years ago now so. yeah uh, I'm yeah. not so sure a sequel is moving forward on that one. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, Will Smith kind of is moving from bomb to bomb, really. Now, like, he's not the big name he was. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he seems to be attaching himself to the wrong properties. So, anyway. <laughs> so, so let's move on to our feature of this week's episode, which is Sweet Tooth season one, uh, which came out on Netflix last week. You're going in disguise as a human boy pretending to be a hybrid kid. But but I am a hybrid kid. Well, today, that's our secret. You're going to be faking that you're fake, even though you're real. Aren't there any other hybrids at the market? Only ones in cages. Uh, we thought it'd be good timing. So our last podcast, we reviewed the first 12 issues of uh, Sweet Tooth, which actually kind of... Brought, brought us to the same place as almost the end of season one um as and we'll go through that so it's based on the graphic novel by jeff lamar and um <clears throat> i'll let jasmine do the names that she's amazing at, at reading oh, people's geez. names <laughs> <laughs> all right so the netflix series is developed by jim mickle it stars nonzo anose uh christian conbury adil akhtar stefania Levier owen uh denia Raman. Ramirez, excuse me, Eliza Villani, James Brolin, who, who's, a, okay, when I saw James Brolin, I was like, James Brolin is not in this film. He's the narrator. Um, <laughs> and Will Forte. Uh, also, it is produced by Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey. I just want to ask a question before we jump into the review. James Brolin, I thought, was an amazing narrator. If, oh, you yeah. two, if you two had could choose any actor to narrate your life story. Samuel L. Jackson. All about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's easy i think i'm um it's probably because i just watched this but i'd, I'd say will forte is probably <laughs> a good appropriate his slight lisp is very appropriate to my life i've thought about it i've thought about this way too much are you ready yes I, tell us. Ready. I don't know his name but the guy who, who does the voice acting of optimus prime Oh, Peter oh, Cullen! Yeah, Peter Hell Cullen. yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. but in, no, but he has to do it in the Optimus Prime voice. <laughs> and Mark, Mark was tired on a Friday, so he moved his mouse every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, 
Literally, I just want Samuel L. Jackson to narrate my life with a string of motherfucker. That's it. That's all I want. Yeah. That's, that's all I care about. So anyway, she was tired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're not going to recap this because that would be too much work over eight episodes and we'd probably be here for at least three hours of podcast. But what we thought we'd do is just break this down a little bit. So go around, around the virtual room. Who who still start with Steven? Steven, what's your so what would you say is your favorite character or actor in this um within season yeah. one? Um honestly, uh Nanzo Anosi mm-hmm. is uh amazing. He's like a, he's a great he's he's a really good actor in everything he's in, but I thought his version of Jeopard was um interesting and uh and he you know the there was less for his character, I think, than the than in the comic, but I think he uh, he elevated it, made it a really interesting character. I loved it. So, oh, well, what about yourself, Jasmine? Who, I, your favorite? I'd say the same. Um, he was definitely the the sort of standout for me, just because a I felt like this his Jeopard was very different than the comic Jeopard. Mm, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, we'll we'll get to it later. But like, I just I I, I really love the way that they took the comic and the concept of the comic, but they really humanized um all of the characters not just the not just the hybrids but they made it so that everybody was a little bit more likable um well not everyone but uh yeah no i just i i really loved the his soft touch with the character of jeopard like it was Mm. that was that was definitely um very enjoyable to watch yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'd like you say we'll talk about the differences later. But yeah, I enjoyed watching this version of Jeopard. Mm-hmm. Myself, I agree with you there. Um, for me, actually, I, I sort of tried to stay away from. I think Gus and, and Jeopard, both as actors, I, I loved and they were great. They were great on screen. But yeah. I actually really enjoyed the uh, the actress uh, Stephanie who plays Bear, mm-hmm. and I I really enjoyed. I, I I saw her on something years ago. Um, I forget what it was, but anyway. When I saw her, I straight away knew she was. Uh, uh, but I just loved even the small character development that they did give her from running this kind of sort of uh, child sort of army, army, yeah, <laughs> yes. underground army, yeah. From from their initial introduction to being in this underground um, virtual reality um, kids sort of hangout, it was almost like a Peter Pan esque kind of world that they lived in. No mm-hmm. adults um, in a in a hidden um, away fun fair, and they kind oh of. Oh my god, she was totally little, Rufio. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So she she was a bit like that, and uh, bangarang like Rufio. <laughs> so, but no, she was great. So like from her initial introduction to meeting Gus at the market, you you could t- like she, I genuinely believed into her in the beginning. I knew that she wasn't trying to lead him down a garden path. She came across as protective of Gus. I didn't realize initially that it was going to lead to protective of all hybrids, mm-hmm. and it was great to see. Her, her to the point of realizing that Gus and Jeopard had this relationship. So she almost was forced in a position where she had to abandon her people just to protect the relationship between Gus and Jeopard, which I thought was actually a really beautiful thing to see, especially, I mean, we'll talk about the differences in a bit, but this version of Jeopard, I really loved that. And to see Gus and Jeopard forming that real bond mm-hmm. and then Bear actually seeing that bond and kind of latching onto it and becoming this kind of three piece. And I, I love this whole, whole season one we're talking about the structure but the whole season one of it kind of been like one of those road movie type things and you know and then adding her as the three piece to their to their little set and she added quite a unique dynamic between the three of them she was 
on her own journey, but had kind of attached herself to theirs. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm assuming that she's going to be a big part of their lives. She's obviously not in the first 12 issues of the comic um, or in, in, a, in such a big way. I think she's more of a, a minor. I, I don't remember reading her in the 12 issues. That we no, read she wasn't. Too. And yeah. I, I waited too long because originally Comixology had book two as part of their unlimited. But once yeah. the Netflix series actually dropped, they removed that. So oh, right now, could. yeah, you can only read <laughs> book one on, on the unlimited um, there and the price went back up. So uh, mm-hmm. bummer, oh, just, bummer just to wait, me just, for not finishing it. But uh, just yeah. wait, just wait a month and it'll be back to yeah. like, once the initial buzz is gone. But no, I, I really loved her. I thought I, thought I liked she was her too because she kept me on the on edge, like because mm. it was like, I don't I don't really trust you. Uh, but I kind of trust you and I think that you have good intentions, but like, I'm going to hold, I'm going to reserve my judgment. So like every time she was around them, I was like, is she plotting? What is she doing? Is she going to, is she going <laughs> to steal Gus? Like even at one point I was like, is she going to push, push Gus off the train? Like, no, she won't do that. But <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, I love that her, that her character kind of made me feel that way because it was, and again, since she was not in the comics, she was a complete unknown. So it was, it was, fun to actually be able to watch well the she wasn't in the first and, 12 issues like, yeah she, not, she might be in it not later, in what we read uh, yeah, um, but so it was nice to have that feeling of like i don't know what what is going to happen i don't know how this relationship is going to play out yeah i know what i liked though was and i i'll be honest with you i did wonder i did wonder if this was coming when they told her backstory i did wonder about the twist that they kind of brought in yeah so i didn't see that stick- coming I I, want, I did wonder it. I didn't even speak it out loud. I thought to myself, would they do that? Would they make that, uh, you know, like, and so basically there's a twist where she's connected to another character who they never share any screen time together throughout yeah. season one. So you find that twist out very, at the very end of season one. So the, I did love seeing her backstory and her origin as to why she's so protective of hybrids. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool as well, just to see it see her sort of her start of being the leader of this underground army to actually where she ends up sitting in the house of the lady who kind of created the hybrids and to find out her backstory so i yeah i really loved bear i thought she was probably one of my sort of favorite characters of of this uh of season one um but it'd be interesting to hear from both of you what sort of your least favorite uh character or (laughs) or maybe not actor because that's probably a bit harsh but the character so um jasmine what about yourself any least favorite um i don't really know that i had a least favorite i would say maybe or least favorite character journey habit like uh i think they they sort of fell into the the trap of or trope of making him into this overbearing type of villain and he didn't it didn't have to be because again in in the comic he was he was a bad guy and you knew he was a bad guy, but he was much more subtle. There was a lot more nuance to Abbott in the comic than there was in the, in the series. So in the series to me, he, he almost seems like the villain from Sonic. <laughs> and I was just yeah, like, these, yeah, I that. these I glasses that. are a bit extreme, sir. Um, so it, like it, to me, just seeing Abbott on screen, it doesn't, it didn't translate the way that I hoped it would have. Uh, so he was my yeah. least favorite character just because it was like, this is, I, I just feel like this is far too campy. What about you, Stephen? Um, honestly, um, Miss Singh, the uh, Ronnie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I liked the idea of her and her husband, and I I loved that they fleshed out those characters a bit more. 
Um, but I just didn't find her like she could have been really compelling, I think. And uh, I found her husband much more interesting. Um, she being the one that's sick, uh, there's a, a real opportunity for her to do to make some compelling decisions. Um, and she's, for lack of a better phrase, she's she's kind of a damsel in distress used to motivate the um, doctor Singh, her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't love that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, she, the most compelling part of her character is that she just loves her husband. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's a great character attribute, but it's not quite enough to make her compelling for me. So. Yeah. She, she, she felt very flat and one dimensional. Mm, yeah. And yeah, she was kind of whining at times. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause like, especially toward the end when they realize all the notes that Dr. Bell left in that notebook. And yeah. at first she's horrified. And then after a brief moment of her being horrified, she's like, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the notebook says that that's what we got to do. So fuck it, that's what we got to do. And it was just like, wait yeah. a minute, hold on. Like you were just so concerned and now your concern is like, screw that. Do whatever it takes, keep me alive, it's damn a, it. Yeah. yeah, it's a footnote. Yeah, I will say that just like you said, Mark though, um, I really like that actress though. Um, I, I hope I'm not butchering her name, but Eliza uh, Bellani. Um, anyway, I've liked her in other things. Um, so I don't think it was her. It's just, you know. <laughs> um for me my my least favorite character is actually the husband like i i couldn't stand any of that character journey the it was nibbly i just just yeah i thought it was very interesting that they made him into like a bumbling idiot yeah no backbone no i don't know just i didn't enjoy any of the any any of that whole like setup between really him and his wife but the whole setup in the sort of the desperate housewives sort of world that they lived in. I didn't really get how that fitted into this post-apocalyptic setting that we had. Um, so like, you know, I, I kind of, I didn't really, you know, we've got generally these flea markets, these people that have turned into killers, hunting hybrids. We've got people hiding desperate to live. And then suddenly out of nowhere, you've got this desperate housewife sort of setting and they kind of living in a, what would what would be actually i felt like if covid just never went like you know if, if covid's still here in 20 years it kind of was a bit like that you know like people you know that wearing masks sanitizing it in and out of places all that kind of stuff and i thought to myself well why are these people so special what are they what are they doing they didn't really give any background to any of these people on the street um really like what they kind of do to earn their keep i felt or not enough that i i saw to really understand why they were even there um i i but him as an actor but him as a character sorry but the doctor as a character i did not enjoy any of that journey um i felt it was obvious where it was heading really mm-hmm. quite quite early on that it was going to head towards him being put in charge of basically slicing and dicing all these hybrids and uh, and i i i if it had been me in charge i would have probably not had him be in season one anywhere near as much and I would have just almost brought him in in the last episode and then maybe shown some of his, you could have, I know we argue, I sometimes argue against flashbacks, <laughs> but may, maybe we could have had just instead in season two, just one episode dedicated to him, like, you know, kind of like yeah. an episodic. And then that way we wouldn't have had his whole journey over eight episodes. I just, I, for me, he's the bit I would have definitely have cut out of season one. I liked him in the medical setting. So I liked him at the very beginning when the outbreak is first happening. I liked him when he was dealing with Dr. Bell directly, but I did. Yeah. I did not like the whole neighborhood watch 
feel thing that was going on with all the neighbors and stuff. Um, but, but I feel like they they gave him more. Like, so it gave you the chance to decide whether or not you liked him or not. Because in, in the first 12 issues of the comic, it's just kind of like, he seemed like this tired old man that was just ready for everything to be over with. But in the series, you actually get to see all of the kind of things that he's gone through that lead him to be likely become that tired old man that is like, I'm just trying to find something so that I can get the hell out of here. Like, that's yeah. that's all I'm trying to do. Uh, so I, I, I kind of appreciate it that they told that story of how he got to be so sort of despondent. Uh, but they could have left out a whole lot of that, like the dead neighbor and the burning the guy at the birthday oh, party yeah. or whatever, like. That was just that was some oh, like whole, Fahrenheit four fifty one shit. That was that just whole, extreme. That whole plot line where like the nosy neighbor and I even said to my wife, I was like, I know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. They're either deliberately or by accident gonna kill her, then hide the body. Like literally, <laughs> that is what's gonna happen. And that literally, that shit happened. I was yeah. just like, you could, you know, I I could have written this show for them. Like, you know, <laughs> um, I honestly would have. I would have literally cut it out. Like literally, like that whole that whole nosy neighbor thing. It was like they went and cut and edited some of Desperate Housewives script into some, into the sweet tooth thing. It made no sense or any of it. So yeah, it, yeah I, that that for me was just the worst part about season one. Was pretty not just the doctor, his wife, that whole setting. I would have cut out that. Maybe would have trim sweet tooth down to six episodes by cutting that out but i would have been fine with that so um anyway let's talk about the changes between what we've read last week and what we've watched and just sort of again going around the room what you know jasmine what did you think in regards to because there was obviously quite a lot of changes mainly around jeopard i would say well actually and the doctor and the doctor we just discussed that but what would you say worked from the changes um what worked is they put so much effort into making the hybrids absolutely adorable <laughs> as opposed to these hideous and poorly drawn creatures all of the hybrids are cute all of them it's it's like the the, the kid with the elephant feet the kid with the antelope like antler like they're all cute and so because they're cute it's so much easier for you to be attached to them. And you don't think of them in terms of like, Oh, these kids are animals. Like, but versus in the comic, like even sweet tooth is ugly in the comic. And, and, and like I said, I had a hard time accepting that while reading the comic, that kid was supposed to be a, a kid and only nine years old. Like he did not look like a kid and he did not look nine. I mean, he looked like a damn near like 21 year old man, you know? Um, So I really, really loved that they put so much effort into, I don't want to say humanizing because I, I think that's not the point of the hybrids, but they they made them cuter and therefore more palatable so that it was much easier to be attached to the hybrids so that you feel all of the emotion that come with everything that happens to these poor kids, you know? So that was, I thought that was the, the best part. The worst part to me uh, is they changed Jeopard stories so much. Like, in in the comic we see jeopard turn on sweet tooth and i thought that that whole arc was really compelling because like we we said before you rarely ever get to see that play out you rarely ever get to see the point where the the good guy goes bad and then comes back around to good again mm. like you don't ever get to see the full circle so that that's what made the character so interesting but in the comic it's or not i'm, I'm sorry in the series 
they made it so that Jeopard used to be one of the last men that is out there hunting the hybrids. And now he isn't. So what they do is like, he has already had his aha moment at some point off screen that we as the audience never see. So um, by the time the end comes around, like, I mean, of course, he's a sympathetic character, of course, but at the same time, and, and uh, this is only because we read the comics. If we hadn't read the comics then I wouldn't, I wouldn't know this. Yeah. Um, but that was, but that was what I loved about Jeopard so much in the comic was that he actually went through with it. He actually went through with turning sweet tooth over to Abbott and then turned around and left and went and did exactly what he said he was going to do. Did you find it quite jarring watching this, knowing that had happened? Cause I, there was a well, point yes, I kept waiting for I it kept to waiting. happen. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I kept, I kept waiting for waiting. it to happen. And it got to a certain point where I was like, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, when, because... It wasn't until they were on the train. And when they were on the train and he went back and he got that damn sock dog, I was like, this guy is never going to turn on this kid. Like, well, no, I'm never going to turn on this kid. No, no. I, I, <laughs> Look I think, at you I rooting think... for. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> turn that damn kid in. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I, I, I'm terrible. I, th- I know. I thought I, I thought pretty no, much man. early on that wasn't going to happen because he was so reluctant. It was actually more. Dr- sorry, it was during episode two, which I actually really enjoyed that when they found that family hidden away, and I thought there was quite yeah. a nice moment um, between Gus and the ten-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. But when, when but come talking about Jeopard though, when Jeopard went to leave during the night and leave Gus with his family, I thought no. Nah, we're not getting that whole thing of Jeopard betraying Gus. Mm-hmm. I thought that I wasn't sure if that was happening or not, but when that happened and he tried to leave, I, I was watching it with my wife and I said, do you know what? They've changed Jeopard's backstory. And yeah. she goes, well, I've not, she goes, I've not read it. I said, yeah, I know you've not read it, but I obviously read the first two issues and I said, look, I won't say, cause in case they do it later, but I said, they have changed something. And when we finished watching it, I said, oh, the bit that they changed was he <clears throat> betrays Gus, which mm-hmm. was quite, a unique thing which i think having when we did read it i felt even when i was reading it it was quite obvious he was going to betray gus but uh, you know it's obviously something they've decided to change and uh, having i did read a little bit of robert downey jr getting interviewed and um, they said that they they wanted to take some of the the darkness yeah which i i can appreciate i mean Mm. i can appreciate and especially since they took the time to make the kids more kid-like then Mm. it makes a lot more sense because it is much, much harder and darker to watch horrible things happen to cute things, right? Mm-hmm. And as yeah. backward and horrible as that sounds, but like, that's the truth of the matter, right? That's why like, whenever you have humanitarian crisis, they always want to put the baby in front of the camera because everybody is sympathetic toward babies because, you know, babies can't do anything for themselves. So by making the hybrids cuter, it, it forces you to change the entire dynamic of the series because as the audience, when we're watching it now, we have become attached to the hybrids because we can look at them and say, oh my God, but they're so cute. They're so helpless. Look at them. Half of them <laughs> can't even talk, you know? So. What about you, Stephen? What do you think worked between the translation of the first two issues that we read last week and this week's um, season one? Honestly, for me, um, almost all the character stuff I prefer in the series mm-hmm. or in the Netflix series. Um, I... I, they definitely had to compromise on some of the more, um, some of the more, you know, pivotal kind of turns, um, like Jasmine was alluding to with Jeopard um, betraying Gus. Um, but I, what they what they added in uh, for the characters, um, like I, I, 
I actually listening to you guys, I can see how the sings story could be kind of grating and a little bit dull. Um, but I, I liked having some context for the doctor mm-hmm. before, before he sits down and talks to Gus, because now I have a context for both sides of the conversation. Right. They allude to the fact in the comic, um, Jeff Lemire insinuates that the doctor is there <clears throat> not to hurt Gus, but just to accomplish the task. Mm-hmm. It does a lot more that first time he sees him to set up the context. And then, um, you know, the Jeopard, um, that whole scene of him seeing his son uh, yeah, the first that was time. heartbreaking. It was, man. And it was like, uh, to be honest, the whole conceit of the series I have found very difficult. Um, I found it a little too silly for me sometimes. It's hard for me to get into. But in that moment, like mm-hmm. as a dad who's been in the hospital and watched two kids come out, um, just uh, seeing a kid in an incubator that like is so different from what you'd expect mm-hmm. um it was I, you know what i mean him in the elevator his his hand hovering over the buttons uh it was one of the for me it was one of the more compelling moments so the, the oh yeah series. i think they really really pulled out the charm in the last two episodes of the series yeah uh because i i was joking with you guys before we started recording that i was bored uh for the first half at the very least yeah. but this series episode six picks up and it like yeah. takes off like a rocket almost the the trajectory completely changes by the time we get to the sixth episode and then six seven and eight are so good and so emotionally heavy that it's like even though i grudgingly watched the first part of the series the last three episodes almost make up yeah. for all of the monotony from before the way that everything yeah. comes together the way that it's connected the way that these people's lives intertwined with each other before they even realized it um yeah and and just how they took the stories that like, like, again, I thought that Jeopard was the most compelling character in the comic, but then they turned the tables on me and they still managed to make him just as compelling in the series by the end, because yeah. like now we get to see his wife and we get to see him at the hospital and we get to see him like react to his child. Um, so yeah, I definitely had like teary eyes, like the last couple of episodes <laughs> watching, but like it, it yeah. did it. It, it, it and well, oh man just his acting was so like the te- yeah. just the, the those big like man tears right like in the elevator <laughs> yeah. i was just like oh man this is rough yeah man. Well, you know that, that whole thing with jeopard i was gonna say sorry i was um that whole thing with jeopard getting that backstory i preferred that kind of yeah. thing with his wife and that whole moment but obviously him going him going through that when he he runs into the doctor actually which i thought was quite a cool twist mm-hmm. to see that he meets the doctor um a lot earlier on um obviously that was like 10 years ago or something and uh well no it must be a bit maybe eight, eight eight years ago whatever but anyway so seeing him go through that mental journey of taking his wife there seeing the baby having this kind of breakdown leaving but they're making a decision to go back and then when he goes back they're gone and i thought to myself well what are they going to do because in the obviously in the comic he's told that his wife and child died um that's in the first 12 issues yeah yeah and obviously i agree with you you know the whole comic book rule unless there's a body well actually not just comic book any any rule of of any (laughs) entertainment unless there's a body and not even then sometimes not even then like you know like sometimes you'll find that they'll take some sort of tranquilizer that kind of like makes their body appear dead for for 12 hours and actually just sends them into a deep sleep and slows their heart rate i mean they did that in 24 they they did that that in wolverine well, they did, they did loads of things, like, and um, <laughs> you know, they they slows their heartbeat down, and they think they're dead. So, not even when there's a body, 
really, I would say, unless they're decapitated, you know, <laughs> really, you know that's about, about the only time you that can be sure. That is the hard and fast rule. Zombies, like, vampires, whatever. Just cut the head off and everything's yeah, fine. Then it's like it. dead, dead. Probably not even yeah. then. Like, if they want to bring him back, they'll find a way. I mean, look at Loki. He got killed and oh, they well, brought him back. In, like, in Invincible, that he was decapitated and they still brought a mortal man back. So, oh, there, yeah. there you go. So, really... There's no, there's no. If somebody wants to bring that character back, they bring them back. Anyway, regardless, when he went, when he decided to go back, I thought to myself, they'll be gone. Any money, they'll be gone. So I think we'll probably in season two, I would imagine, see more of Jeopard's journey. And I, I th- I'm glad that we only got a little bit of his journey because mm-hmm. I feel like there's loads still to see. So, but we'll talk about them. But yeah, Stephen, what do you think didn't work from the translation from the from the twelve issues we read into this week? Yeah, there were, yeah, there were a couple of things. I feel like Abbott was the most consistent uh, from the comic to the to Netflix, but I mm. I just didn't find him. Um, I found him very similar to too many bad guys. Um, he was just a shadowy figure with glasses, and that's fine, um, you know. But the most interesting part of his character was him him wanting the vaccine. Uh, to be directly under his control so that he could decide he straight out said so I can decide who lives and dies Mm -hmm. Um, that was a good articulation of his his kind of goal but um, I could just see a dozen different actors playing that same exact role and that's not on the actor it's just the fact that it's so such a generic role Mm -hmm. Um, I think they could have I think they could have differentiated the the threat a bit more Um, the um, That was really the biggest biggest thing that I, I felt like didn't work super great. The Animal Army episode, episode four, um, was that it was funny you said that it was mind numbing around then, Jasmine, <laughs> because that was the episode that I found I found that one to be the dullest and it should have been the most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like you you have this incredible setting, and I just felt like it was so slow, so I just didn't find it very interesting until the I next I think when episode. I finished that one was, was when I texted you guys and I was like, uh, yeah. is anybody else watching this? Because uh, I think I'm missing the point here. Like, I don't think I don't think I understand what I'm supposed to be understanding. Yeah. Well, it's they did such a cool setup for that concept um, and then did very little with it when they were back at the compound and, mm-hmm. and you know, the structure. And I don't know. I, I liked the idea and I liked Bear, um, but I just didn't love episode four. Um, as the, I did want to touch on two things that did, as far as what did work, the, there were two moments in the series that hit me way harder than anything in the first 12 issues. And that was, um, again, that was Jeopardy in the elevator. And then at the end, when, uh, Gus meets Wendy for the first time, I loved having context for Wendy, Wendy and Amy, their parallel journey with Gus and his father, uh, were awesome that was awesome that was one of the best strokes to the whole show and when they meet and gus who has just articulated that he has no one and what he means is no one who understands him no one who can be in his really have context for him and then at the very end the darkest moment the empire strikes back moment (laughs) all of these kids who are exactly like him who give him context and prove that he belongs somewhere yeah embrace him in this group hug it was it was really cool i got something in both of my eyes when i was watching that scene and like i had to pause (laughs) it and like get those things out of my eyes because i couldn't see the tv when when wendy (laughs) hugged him i was like oh god oh god (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I did behind behind Jeopard. Uh, Wendy was Wendy and Gus were just great. Yeah. So. Yeah, just for me, like what worked really was I actually preferred this TV version of Gus. Like, although he was naive, just like in the comic, he was less naive. But I liked that this this Gus was much more full of purpose. So in the comic, it was kind of a bit like he kind of went with Jeopard just because I felt like he probably just didn't want to be lonely. That was probably it. And obviously in the comic, they they kind of get the information about him and his mother through, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what do you call What do they do? Hypnotherapy or something or other. Um, yeah. they, they, they kind of just made him just think back to different moments when he was a kid and they kind of found this information about a potential mother and all this information hidden back at his camp and stuff like that. Um, and obviously we accepted that as it was in, having read the first 12 issues. But seeing that when I was watching the first episode and he found that box and found that picture of his mum, I was like, what are they doing? I was like, why is he getting that information now? Like, I was like, okay. So I thought to myself, well, how's this going to change things? Like, because obviously he's now seen this picture of his mother. And actually that was straight away was, I want to find my mother. And I, I love the fact that he's so naive that he gives pictures of his mother to everybody he meets. Going, do you yeah. know, do you know her? Do you know her? <laughs> like, but I love yeah. that even like Bear's reaction was so sweet. Like I just, I, I honestly this version of Gus was so was so nice to watch. It was so yeah. such it's a because this character. version of Gus was not just puppeting back everything that his father had taught him. Mm. And in the comic, yeah. uh, to Stephen's point, it was like you grow up with this ignorant, hyper religious, just almost naive in, in his own right person who puts all of these things onto you. And mm. if you don't have anything else to bounce ideas off of, then you're just going to take it at face value. Versus they the, the nobody talked about it but we probably all should have one of the best changes they made was to change his father completely yeah um yes. that was that was so much better so much better even at the beginning before gus leaves the woods but uh it's almost like they made his father an actual father figure like he was more loving he was nurturing versus like you have to do this and you have to do that. Like he still was very much like, don't go outside of the fence. But at the same yeah. time, like they joked around and, and they, they did like, he actually had a personality and, and seemed like he wanted Gus around yeah. versus in the comic where it was just like fire and brimstone and, and do as I say, period, nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, no, I agree but, with you about the father. Like yeah. he was only in three episodes of, of this eight episode series. And obviously in, in, in the first episode, I was shocked about how much time we got to spend with him. Yeah. Uh, considering yeah. like in the comic, he, he's dead within about three pages. And, and I thought that was really beautiful to see that relationship. But what I really loved was the flashback episode with him and Birdie. And to, yeah. get, to, see their, yeah. to get to see their relationship. Yeah. But actually their relationship and him and him, himself as well. It got me to realize actually this guy is a genuinely nice caring person right and, when, and he, yeah. he only he literally gets landed with gus like he, he meets yeah it, it, all, it all goes nuts the first time he sees gus in the how about uh, that you baby. go on a date you find you have some <laughs> drinks at a bar with some chick that you think is hot and then by the end of the night you got a toddler yeah, <laughs> he skipped the whole sex part and he exactly you skipped all the fun part and you just wound yeah. up with the damn baby that sucks yeah but yeah, like, what I loved was the whole relationship between the father, um, what well, yeah. the father and the mother, as Gus calls them, 
and, and actually how birdie and him obviously form this you know the, the, they literally go on one date it's crazy like yeah. well, they clearly really like each other and by the end of it birdie hands gus off to him and he runs out the door and it, that actually i thought was a really nice episode to see mm-hmm. the trend the, the journey of of um of the father and um I'm really glad they gave us that too, because they didn't give you that in the, like they hinted at it in the comics in the first 12 issues where the the whole thing is like, Oh, Gus doesn't have a belly button. Therefore you could not have been born because you don't Mm. have a belly button. Um, But in the series, which I guess they kind of have to, especially if they're trying to hook people in, they flat out are like, this is a test tube, baby. It was an accident. We accidentally (laughs) grew a baby hybrid in a lab and Oh shit. Now what do we do? Uh, So I thought it was really smart of them to, show you that that is where Gus came from versus leaving that part to the imagination mm. because that for season two that's going to open them up to like we know how he got here but now yeah. season two is probably going to explore the why we went through so much trouble why did we do what we you know that kind of thing hopefully yeah, yeah. Um, well and- I was just saying because uh, I was just saying my my overall thoughts of what didn't work I kind of went through a little bit earlier it was just the whole desperate housewives set up and the weird yeah. street and the, the whole community and kind of the doctors and the doctor and his wife I didn't that, that for me could have really been re- either really scaled back or actually just cut out I know Stephen you did say you quite liked seeing some of his background but for me I, I didn't find any of it compelling or interesting enough and I didn't care I mean, yeah. I, I just got to the point where I was like, actually, if I was going to skip any part of this, I'd probably just skip any scene that he's in. So, yeah, that's for me what didn't really work. Sorry, what, Stephen, were you going to jump in and say something? No, I I was just going to say, uh, when you guys were talking about Will Forte and uh, is the father, um, one of the more interesting things, they intentionally drew direct parallels between who Gus was and who his father was yes you know what i mean they Um, were two individuals yeah and but him being a good sweet man helped make helped inform gus Mm -hmm. who in this story they've already set him up as he could be the most important person in the world yeah based on his unique you know but anyway and like him fixing the radio in the plane that was very much a callback to something his dad would do you know Mm -hmm. anyway i just thought that was interesting but yeah i i could see your point about the the doctor and his wife um i i didn't mind it so much but <clears throat> but yeah um th- their characters were a little bit grating um to be honest i think they had the right <laughs> idea like the the doctor needed a backstory especially the way that they kind of wove it all together and you know him meeting jeopard in the elevator at the hospital but like the the way that they went about giving the doctor a backstory was shaky at best like it just it their uh, their approach was wrong the intent was there but like they they did not execute it well so because it just i think i think it would have been weird if dr singh had come in at the very end but but it also would not have made any sense because the they sort of used the preserve or the zoo as their lab facility so it wouldn't have worked that way anyway because they first have to go and get you know amy and all of her kids out of the zoo in order to take it over i thought that part was pretty interesting to show the connection between the preserve because in the comics like the comic yeah. starts off with we're going to the preserve because it's a place where kids like you are safe um yep. versus here it was kind of like 
this is an actual preserve. We are actually helping kids. And, you know, by the time all those kids get in the tunnel, there's like 20 of them, you know, like, so they've spent a long time collecting um, hybrid kids and giving them a place to stay. So it was great to actually see that the preserve was once a preserve. Um, And, but, and it really sucks to see it turned into this horror factory uh, by the very end with Abbott and his people. Yeah. So just talk about, we'll talk about the sort of structure. And I know that's something you kind of alluded to earlier, Jasmine, but there's not just the structure, but like the the overall production and stuff like that. What what are your thoughts on how they've structured the show, the writing, but also the sort of what they've spent on set design, that kind of thing, you know, what, 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 what were your thoughts on all that? I thought that it was all done really well. The set design, they filmed on location in New Zealand, which New Zealand is absolutely freaking gorgeous. I'd go back there in a heartbeat. (laughs) Um, But one thing that bothered me, and this is me being OCD in, in the comic, the event happens in Colorado and Jeopard and his father live on a nature preserve in Nebraska. Now, Nebraska and Colorado butt up against each other, and Nebraska and Denver, which is the biggest city in Colorado, are close enough that proximity makes sense. However, in in the Netflix series, they're in Yellowstone. Yellowstone is in Wyoming, but like far north Wyoming. And to me, the distances and the timing and the travel didn't work. And it was like, I know it's minor, and I know most people don't pay attention to it, but it bugged me just the logistics of it. Like, first of all, if Jeopard had spent all of this time right outside of Denver, how the hell did you wind up in the woods in freaking Yellowstone to, to find Sweet Tooth <laughs> in the first place and then make your way all the way freaking back to Denver? Like, so there, there were some, some, uh, some logistical things that really really bugged me and it just it was one of those things that eventually I couldn't get around it because I was like that's a lot of walking like um, I'm sorry like that's that's just way too much walking to make Nebraska made sense because like I said it, I mean Wyoming sits on top of Colorado but there is quite a trek from the Colorado Wyoming border up to Yellowstone um, yeah and it's just like uh, why couldn't why couldn't you have stayed in Nebraska? I, maybe they were just trying to give uh, viewers a sense of everybody knows what Yellowstone National Park is, so let's just use that as a location because people can visualize it. Um, yeah. But I don't know why they changed it, so that that really bothered me. Uh, but again, I thought that the set designs worked. Um, the cluttered house at the very end, the amusement park where the kid army was, the zoo that was the sanctuary, but now is a shit show um the train i loved the sequence on the train um so i I thought that they put a lot of time and effort a lot of the landscapes and and the cinematography it's panning sweeping gorgeous gorgeous scenery um so i enjoyed it the only thing that looked like a set was the neighborhood with the neighborhood watch and the doctor and those people that was it to me everything else looked like it could have been Oh look! Hey, there's an abandoned building. We can just go shoot some stuff there. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. I think it. I think they put the money in all the right places. The CGI again. I think it was great because I, I think, and I think a lot of what they did was probably practical effects too. Um, I imagine a lot of those kids are in makeup and not necessarily them doing CGI on all of these kids. So I think them probably using the the practical application of makeup and makeup design 
um, help them versus them trying to make things bigger and better than they were because you you kind of see the sort of lack of money in the cgi when it comes to all of the deer so anytime the deer are around when when they're running behind sweet tooth when that big buck comes in at the lodge you can tell that those are cgi but you but you can tell that they're cgi like they don't nothing about them looks real um so i think not wasting your efforts on those kinds of things and instead putting the money into the practical sets, the practical makeup, I think that really did serve them well with the series. What about you, Simon, like sort of just the production and set design? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I love the sets. Um, the zoo, I thought was really interesting. I really liked um, Gus's home at the, the beginning mm-hmm. of the story. Um, and I, one of my favorite things was just repurposing, um, old buildings like the restaurant for the lab. And then eventually, you know, um, the zoo being repurposed as a military base. Mm-hmm. Um, the, as far as none of the, honestly, Gus looked awesome. Yeah. Um, and all of the designs were really good. Um, the, the only thing I would say is I felt like there was a pretty big disparity among the hybrids. Uh, some of them look great and some of them look like yeah Bo- Bobby needed some help I'm not gonna lie Bobby y'all why y'all gotta treat Bobby that way come on now yeah yeah his proportions were Bobby's yeah. proportions were way off yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah Bobby was the only one I was a bit like so what he's like the size of a foot and yeah. like everyone <laughs> yeah. Bobby yeah. is a football <laughs> yeah. basically well it's like so as like a as like a guy who um design is like a something i really love and i'm inspired by mm-hmm. uh, they talked about an owl hybrid and i was really excited to see i'm like man what would that look like and then when they showed her it was just it just looked like feathers had been kind of pasted around mm-hmm. the face and it was it, i just didn't you know I, I felt like it was a cool opportunity but when you're when you're doing 20 makeups for all these kids like yeah. i can't imagine how a, how a kid would respond to that much makeup but but some of them were, looked awesome yeah. um, like i thought wendy and gus look, both looked i was gonna ask you specifically what do you think about wendy's nose well and that, yeah no joke well and that's the thing okay and i'm not gonna harp on the comment but like <laughs> watching the show mm-hmm. it just it just highlights the difference right because like those you know what i mean like wendy's design and even bobby's design and gus Mm-hmm. Gus, if you look at the comic, looks like a forty-year-old man. Yes, he's got he's got the the yeah. He looks lines. old. His head, the shape of his head, is way off. He's super lanky. Uh huh. So when you and no kids are not lanky unless they are malnourished, and he may have been in the comic, but like, I just I it, I just enjoyed the visuals so much more. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I thought the production value was really good, and the the writing, I thought the quality was was there consistently in the dialogue and what they were trying to accomplish with like callbacks and stuff so yeah, yeah. i also really liked amy like uh, again she was not in the no, first 12 oh, yeah. issues but uh she was it, i don't know if she's in the comic at all but she's a great addition because yeah. to, it's like she her arc of being like this <laughs> terrified of everything to like i'm running a zoo with rifles and booby traps and all this kind of stuff i was like damn yeah. that's that is some character journey she's had over the last mm. like decade well and when they started when they in the first 
I can't remember if it's the first episode, but they said, you know, some start, some stories start at the beginning, but yes. Gus's story starts now. They uh-huh. did that with her too. Right. And it was a cool way to draw the parallels between those two stories. Yeah. And for, you know what I mean? Cause they're going to be the driving force. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. Cause yeah, her escape plan, all of that stuff, even though it didn't work brilliant. out. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was just, it was a, it was cool seeing, seeing yeah. like a. And I loved uh, her at the yeah. end where she was like, look, you better get your rest. Cause tomorrow we're going to get our kids back <laughs> after yeah. she rescues yeah. Jeffrey. I was like, hell yeah. Tell them girl. Yeah. yeah I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say like for, for myself in terms of the production and set value, honestly, you could see they spent a lot of money on the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably not the same level as Jupiter's legacy but well, they, but they put the money in the right places yeah 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 so I think definitely I had the believability that this was set in an apocalyptic type setting other than the Desperate Housewives world it generally felt like they had been reinvented and actually strangely talk about Amy because oh, what I loved was the comparison I know we talked about a character journey but actually if you think about the comparison of even the office mm-hmm. um so when she first was there it became her bubble and you just, you know, like they said about her character, her journey starts now. It was her little bubble and yeah, she used post and those things like that. But what I thought was really cool was in terms of when they took her back there in the last few moments of, of season one and in, in the very last episode of uh, episode eight. So I didn't realize because it was all overgrown on the outside and all dark and dingy and all this kind of stuff. And so I didn't realize initially she was back in her office. And so when I did, I was like, huh. wow, that's actually really cool that she's kind of retreating yeah. back there and yeah. see and seeing the and just seeing obviously the set design, even on a, an abandoned office, like a sky a skyscraper or whatever it was, like a 20-story building or whatever it was. So it was quite cool. But no, I loved it all and like things that you said, uh, Jasmine, about the train. I loved the fact that they even went to them to the effort of actually building not just one carriage for them to be in several carriages that they went mm-hmm. back and forth and yeah, I loved all of that I, I loved seeing the abandoned fun fair and the sort of the kids area and mm-hmm. I just yeah even the zoo it was it was just so well done all of the all of the sets I thought it was great I just loved it all and so in terms of like the structure of the show it, it, it was one um, overall story as we know I did feel maybe it's probably I would say even without having read the first 12 issues, I felt like the ending was obvious very early on um, that they were getting all these separate people and it was obvious that there was going to be some kind of intertwined element at the end. Mm-hmm. I did I did think that Gus and the Doctor were going to come into, um, you know, paths, cross paths in the last episode. I sort of thought that was something that they'd set up really early on that they were showing the Doctor's journey and Gus's journey and somehow they were going to loop back. I couldn't think how they were going to do it until the, the moment he said, oh, I fixed the radio. I was like, oh, no. I yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, so, but I didn't think about the other things. I didn't think were so obvious, like the Bear's connection to the other character. Yeah. I didn't think about the fact that Amy would be the one to rescue Jeopard. I actually thought that was going to be Bear that was going to rescue Jeopard. Shepherd. yeah um so because obviously bear was a lot nearer and out, out of nowhere suddenly amy rocks up with a. Truck you know and- i read a theory that says that they think that bear and uh, not bear uh that jeopard is the one who actually dropped off wendy at the preserve when he was a last man oh okay that, that's that would be a cool theory yeah um because yeah. it, it probably shows that this version of jeopard's got a lot more heart than yeah than um the comic version the comic version obviously is driven by a different purpose this but this he, he i mean for me obviously we haven't seen all of jeffords backstory but he is he seems to be driven by a purpose probably of regret for what he did and he just wants to be on his own but 
having come across Gus, it's starting to maybe change his purpose. So. Yeah. Oh, no, I, well, he I says it at the end and it's real sweet because he's like, don't don't make me leave you too. Hmm. When when he's talking to Gus and he's like, yeah. you you can't do this. I know it sucks. And I know you got this bad news that your parents are not your parents and that you were you know born in a lab, but they loved you and they protected you. And they cared for you. Well, your dad did anyway. You're, um, so don't don't say that you don't have anybody because I don't want to lose you too. Hmm. That was real sweet. And um, just yeah. go around the room in terms of how what our overall thoughts on the show were, and also about how we thought it ended, and um, and kind of our hopes for season two. So um, actually, Stephen, I'll, I'll start with yourself. What did, what did, what, how, how did you did you enjoy the show? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I to be honest, I. Um, I enjoy. I came into it with a not expecting a ton, um, but I really I liked it. The further it went in, um, you know, I, I, they did a good job kind of building the characters. Which for me, you can fail everything as long as you accomplish something with the characters and make them compelling and interesting. It mm-hmm. was a really well cast show, so I connected with the actors, and the, you know what I mean. Having some additional information about each of the characters, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the, as far as the ending, um, I thought it was the best possible ending for eight episodes. Um, you know what I mean? If, if you're, you know, you've got everyone in the, the moving positions for the next big arc in the story and you still, there's still some hopefulness, um, because, uh, Dr. Singh and his conversation about, about Gus and also him alluding to the fact that the goddess of knowledge, um, is a deer Mm -hmm. and that 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 was a gift given by his wife and drawing that back to Gus because he could speak. Uh, that was a really, that was another really powerful moment, but it gave you some hope even after all of them are in these bad situations, mm-hmm. but there are enough good people in that big bad situation. Even that one soldier who saved the horse and who uh, gave the things their privacy when they asked. And like, he has like a little bit of heart. So they've laid the groundwork for there to be some optimism next season. It wasn't as fatalistic as it could have been. Mm-hmm. And ending with the two points of ending, one, the big embrace at the end. And then also uh, just like Jasmine said, um, her, her priming Jepper to go get their kids. Yeah. I, I really like the ending, so. Mm-hmm. What do you think for season two? What's up? What do you think uh, season two is going to look like? Um, I think season two will be better than season one. Um, I, hopefully, I think the big thing, as long as they don't drag, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because season, uh, season two is like Buffy and <laughs> you know what I mean? Where the pieces are in position, you've done all the legwork and everybody's ready to go. Yeah, you just have a get fantastic to it. Season. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but you have a season two like The Walking Dead where you had this success, didn't know what to do with it and ended up meandering all mm-hmm. season kills the momentum oh, so hopefully <laughs> that's just my opinion yeah <laughs> some some people like season I, two. I, I don't think it, i don't think they'll do that in season two because i mean they're only going to do eight episodes so they're not going to spend six episodes mirandering around like it because it definitely where it ended did feel like it's ready to go so yeah but well, i mean but you could all be proved wrong so yeah i mean jasmine what, what, so what are your thoughts on overall you're in your thoughts on season one and the journey of season one and also how it ended. What do you think? Um, I, I still have really mixed feelings. I, I loved, like I said, the last three episodes were really fantastic 
really, really fantastic. They brought everything together really well, but the first half of the season was a real slog for me to get through. So I, 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 but I think the way that it ended, um, the way that they tied everything together, the way that people are connected, I think that those connections are going to play a much bigger role in the second season. Um, and I think the second season is going to be more emotionally fraught because of everyone being so connected. There's going to be a misunderstanding somewhere. And I think that the misunderstandings in the second season are going to probably be what drives the plot. Um, but also, again, the same same way that I was excited about the comic and what happens next, like I am literally so ready for Jeppert and now Amy to be like, fuck it, like you got two guns, I got two guns, we busting up in here, kicking doors down and we're getting our damn kids back. Like I just, I really loved at the end how she was so unbothered by his presence and him waking up where she was literally just like, don't overexert yourself because tomorrow we got work to do. Um, so I really kind of just love that she is like, over it she's like i'm not i'm not letting them stay there a day longer i'm gonna go get all of my kids back and you're coming with me so i i would i would watch a second season grudgingly but i would watch a second season and i'm sure i would like it a little bit better than this season but i still maintain that if we had never read the (laughs) comics i would never have picked this series on my own to watch it just does not seem like it would be something that i would be interested in yeah i mean overall season one i enjoyed it i'll be honest i enjoyed pretty much every episode there was some episodes that i felt they were heavier on the doctor which i definitely have said throughout this i hated <laughs> but like but other than that though i enjoyed it like i i loved um I, I just loved it all really like the narration i even i loved although it was one overall story i loved how each episode was sort of episodic it was kind of each episode had its own story and i actually loved the second episode where jeopard and gus found that family that had literally been hidden away for like the last eight eight years and just that whole episode although it wasn't an episode that really moved any plot on or anything like that it was just a nice standalone you can imagine if this was on like network tv it, but it went know, to it, show you that not everybody that you run into is shit hmm. so yeah, that, oh yeah, that yeah. was yeah. that was what was good about that because i thought for sure i thought for sure that those people were going to be like i am so jaded i guess that when i watch these things anytime i come across new people i'm like you're bad i know you're bad i don't even know you and i don't know what you're gonna do but you're gonna do something <laughs> se- bad. Se- secret cannibals like, yeah exactly like, yeah. like so i would be i'd be horrible during the apocalypse i would be like negative nancy i'd be like you see that squirrel that squirrel's out to get us, man. I swear. Yeah. Squirrel, <laughs> that squirrel is coming for us. I'm telling you. Uh, but you know, overall, I enjoyed it. I did feel that, it, although they, the wrap up of season one was really good, I, I, I literally called it like three episodes or four episodes before it happened. I was like, ah, oh, this. I didn't call Jeopard and Amy being together, which I thought was really cool. I did love that bit. Like Amy turned around, we're going to go get our kids together. And um, as for season two, my thoughts, to be honest, I hope. Netflix unfortunately does the thing of letting us wait sometimes two or three years between seasons. I really hope that's not going to happen. So my hope is that we see season two next year. I don't want. A... Well, they pull this together real quick because uh, they were supposed to film yeah. in July of 2020. Then COVID pushed that back. They started filming in October, so mm. we got we got a full first season in less than a year. So fingers yeah. crossed, so, Netflix. Well, yeah, I'm hoping that the competition of the other streamers is motivating them a bit too. Yeah. Yeah, but no, I enjoyed it and I look forward to season two. My hopes are really, I, I hope we get less Doctor. Um, other than that, though, I'm enjoying everybody else and I would love to see more. <laughs> or if we get more Doctor, I hope they, I don't know, give him a backbone or something like that. So. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think I think he he there it's going to have to be more doctor in the second season, unfortunately, but it already seems like yeah. he has grown a bit more of a spine, especially in the way that he talks to Johnny when he's like, no, bring me another one. And Johnny's like, Abbott's going to be mad. And the doctor is like, Abbott's not going to know because you're not going to tell him. Now go bring me another one. <laughs> so. so ratings, ratings, ratings. What are we, what are we giving it, folks? Three. Four. Five. No, you're no, not no, giving no, it no. a five. No, no, I can't give it a five because I hate the doctor. I hate the, I hate the doctor. No, no. I, I probably would go Stephen actually a four, like in honesty. I think, I think with out my hatred of the doctor i probably would have given it a five but i would give it a solid four and i think it's a well-deserved four so you guys are making me i need to go do some inward introspection or something because <laughs> well I, i'm sticking hard I, and fast to my three well you and i uh overturn mark on castlevania a couple of times uh, this is true so. very true <laughs> So this is what it feels like to be on the receiving end of the of the ratings <laughs> yeah. war. I'm glad I'm glad that we moved the ratings to actually in episode debate rather than pre episode debate, and no one actually hears us. Like yeah. what? Oh, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> like, like, they, they, no one actually got to hear me go Mortal Kombat one. Like you know, like, <laughs> Mortal Kombat anyway. was a five. What are you talking about? Mortal Kombat was never a five on any planet. Like, Always a five. And, <laughs> Always. Maybe in Texas. So. In in Jasmine. <laughs> world it's a five yeah but anyway, now that we've decided to bring the ratings into the episode and we give our own rating and i think it adds a nice little bit of debate and uh and that brings this week's episode to a close but overall i did enjoy talking about sweet tooth the last two weeks so it's been it's been nice so it's been fun to actually do something where you start with a comic and then go to a series i don't think we've done that in succession on the podcast before so that was that was really interesting to kind of approach it from from that angle also though i I do think it it hurts when when you read things that way because like we said before i kept waiting for jeopard to turn and i was like this isn't gonna happen is it okay (laughs) yeah the next episode will be episode 55 which is actually our one year anniversary and we've got something special lined up that's hopefully gonna be a lot of fun and we're not gonna ruin it so tune in next week and as a reminder, don't forget, we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our seventh Late to the Party Book Club episode was They Call This Enemy by George Takei, Justin Isinger, and Steve Scott. And the art is by Harmony Becker. That episode came out at the end of May. We're taking the month of June off, but in July, we'll be back with our favorite co-host, Stephen. And we are going to be covering <laughs> The Killing Joke as our July book club you can follow us on social media. We're Geeks Unleashed everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, as always, please remember, you can uh, check out our podcast on Podbeam, Google, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you can get podcasts. Uh, give us a five-star review and just share us. We're looking to grow and we appreciate the help. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Bye.